Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 27th, 2018. theme today. <laughs> I couldn't work the emergent stuff with other things, so you'll understand when you hear it. I always feel like I failed, but I can't get the theme to work for a program. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, (gasps) self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical Christian, it's like not even close to biblical. It's, yeah, so many people, they have no clue what the Bible's about anymore, and yet they're pastors. Yeah, Scripture actually says that somebody who's to be a pastor is one to have studied and shown himself approved as one who can rightly handle or divide the word of truth. So, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of people who are asserting themselves, uh, you know, they maybe they can speak gooder than some people. You know, they, they have a charismatic presence on stage and they're able to draw a crowd or they just seem to exude a particular sense of confidence. But confidence in, in gobbledygook is not, you know, biblical confidence, you know. So they're incapable of rightly teaching God's Word. They don't even care. They scratch itching ears, tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear, and it's just a general mess is the best way I can put it. All right. So as I was lamenting at the beginning of the program, today's episode, um, no, no theme. No, it's... (laughs) I just gave up. I just... This is oatmeal against the wall. That's the best way I can put it. Uh, So the first half of the first hour 
will kind of work together. Second half of the first hour will kind of work together. And then, yeah, I, uh, the sermon review. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's this, this, we, we're, we're, all of our horses are heading in 9,000 different directions today. So we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange syndicate update as we listen to Nate Johnston. Uh, he is a Elijah-less prophet. He and his wife actually work together uh, in their own doing prophetic ministry on YouTube and stuff, if you could even call it that. And we're going to be listening as he as we have received an invitation uh, from God into our suddenlies. <laughs> so we've been invited into an adverb. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll take a listen to Nate, and you'll note this is standard, and I mean standard, you know, charismatic so-called prophetic pablum. This is nonsense. This is what this, these are not words from God. These are far from that. Uh, then we'll switch gears up and we'll uh, listen to Cindy Trim. Uh, this the segment we weren't able to get to a couple of days ago about walking out your destiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break. And uh, and then you know, second half of the first hour, we're going to check in with a promotional video that was put out by Greater Purpose Church up in. Uh, the uh, northern uh, central coastish area of uh, California, and we're just gonna just gonna throw this out here right now. Just throw this. Just if I ask this question, I know what you're gonna answer. And, and but here's the question: Do you believe that Jesus was killed by white supremacists? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't either. So, um, <laughs> just. Yeah, so we're going to hear Greater Purpose Church. Uh, literally, you're going to hear them claim that Jesus was killed by white supremacists, which means they, they're, they're not doing theology. They're doing, um, you know, uh, postmodern SJW ideology. Uh, they're not actually in, in, you know, abiding by the narrative of Scripture. They're abiding by the false narrative of uh, social justice. And and then to kind of round out, we'll, you know, we'll, in the, that same postmodern emergent update uh we'll throw in Brandon Robertson from San Diego as we listen to his um uh, uh, you know promotional video for Mission Gathering Christian Church in San Diego and we're going to just hear him spew all of the modern po- you know, actually it's not modern postmodern SJW buzz phrases and words is the reason why you should attend his so-called church uh, hour number two, we are going to be uh, heading up to San Jose, California, to Echo Church as we listen to Stacy Wood um, explain to us the importance of tech-wise culture. Yeah, and wait till you see, hear how she twists God's words on this. This will be a like a classic example of mangling the uh, the biblical distinctions between law and gospel, all under the guise of intentionally using your technology in particular, a good results kind of way. That's the only way I can describe what I heard uh, in that, so we'll review that together in hour number two. So strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground we need to cover, and uh, since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange syndicate update, let's go ahead and do this. (laughs) 
down at an English fair One evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich There stands me wife, the idol of me life Singing roll a ball a ball a penny a pitch Singing roll a ball a ball a penny a pitch Singing roll a ball a ball a penny a pitch Roll a ball a ball Roll a ball a ball Singing roll a ball a ball a penny a pitch Yeah, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts All right, so we're going to be heading over to the YouTube channel of so-called self-proclaimed prophet Nate Johnston. He is featured on the Elijah List with some regularity. And uh, we're being invited into an adverb. Yeah, we are being invited by God into a suddenly, which if you've been listening to Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, you've heard this nonsense spewed as some kind of prophetic, woo! You know, a word, fresh word from the Lord many, many times. So many times I've lost count. But uh, here's the latest installment of uh, God's going to send you a suddenly. Here's uh, so-called prophet Nate Johnston. Morning, YouTube. I have a word for you. You know, so often we get used to dealing with things in our life like trauma, pain, memories, and all the effects of different situations and circumstances of our life. But what if in a moment that could all change? And God's just been stirring my heart like... What if in a moment that could all change? woo What if? So God's stirring in his heart, he said. To really believe him for the suddenlies. I know there are pros... Yeah. Oh, man. Crash and burn there. Yeah, so we need to believe God for the suddenlies. <laughs> You know, I heard him say it that way, and the the only thing I can think of is like, you know, having, you know, a a gastrointestinal issue, and uh, all of a sudden, the suddenlies hit you, yeah, (laughs) and you're like, whoo, and then you're, you're finding your way to the bathroom as quick as can possibly be, because those suddenlies, boy, if you don't act quickly, they could sure make a stinky mess, you know? and there are times and there are seasons for certain things but you know what jesus he didn't model that he actually modeled a a now anointing he actually what jesus modeled a now anointing i have no i yeah i got nothing on this i have no idea i'm coming and so resurrection power comes now you know when he came to to raise lazarus from the dead he came it said four days late Yet in that moment, resurrection power and life came and restored Lazarus and brought him out of the tomb. When Jesus, so he showed up four days late, but resurrection power and huh? Jesus came to the guy that was on beside the pool of Bethesda, and he was like, you know, I've been here for thirty-eight years. I'm probably going to be here for another thirty-eight. Jesus, like, man, do you want to get up and walk? Because if yeah, by the way, we're going to be hearing about that fellow from uh, Cindy Trim. You say yes right now, you'll get up and walk, and he did. And I believe Jesus is wanting us. If you say yes right now, you'll get up and walk. That is not what happened at all in uh, in, the, in that text about the healing of the man in the pool of Bethesda. Yeah, let, let's take a quick look at it. 
the text in question is found in John chapter 5. I'll start in verse 1 for context and provide a little bit of some interesting archaeological evidence that might actually help us understand this text a little bit. But John chapter 5, verse 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now a little bit of a note here. That description as having five roofed colonnades, that's kind of, um, how how shall I put this, Uh, heads up for those in the ancient world, that this site was an Asclepion. Yeah, if you don't know what that is, you kind of have to look it up. It's a temple to Asclepius, the uh, the son of Apollo. Uh, yeah, and the Asclepian cult, they, they were the ancient world's uh, version of faith healers. <laughs> yeah, and boy, the uh, the things they engaged in were very much akin to the same kind of shenanigans uh, that we see going on on TBN and stuff. Not making that up. Yeah, look it up. It's historical. It's You can find this. It's not that hard to find. Anyway, uh, five roof colonnades, which more more than likely makes it an, an Asclepion. And uh, these lay in these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. You you know, Jesus asked him, Do you want to be healed? The guy doesn't even answer. And Jesus immediately says, Get up, take your bed and walk. And so you'll note that, Hello, uh, this that what we just heard Nate say is not what the text says at all. And so let's uh, head back and listen to Nate. I'm going to back this up just a little bit and listen again to how he adds to the story. When Jesus came to the guy that was on b- beside the pool of Bethesda, and he was like, you know, I've been here for 38 years. I'm probably going to be here for another 38. He's like, man, do you want to get up and walk? Because if you say yes right now, you'll get up and walk. And he did. And I... <laughs> Boy, totally different story. Uh, you know, uh, Nate here is, um, he, I don't know what biblical translation he's working from, but uh, none of the ancient manuscripts say that. And so you'll note he's totally adding to and changing God's word, all the while claiming that he's giving a prophetic utterance that we're all going to be experiencing the suddenlies. And uh, so I I think about what uh, Jeremiah the prophet writes regarding false prophets. Jeremiah 23, uh, starting at verse 9, at the time, Jeremiah, lamenting and prophesying against the false prophets of his day, says this, Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake, and I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers because of the curse, and the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be them uh, to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them. In the year of their punishment, declares the Lord, and the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. 
They prophesied by Baal. They led my people astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Savaoth, concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poison water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. And thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who's paid attention to his word and listened? So behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he is executed and accomplish the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, and yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. You'll note then that prophets preach repentance. Prophets literally confront people with their sin and their unbelief to turn them away from evil. And you're going to note this. Uh, I don't think any of you could argue it, but the rise of evil in our lifetime has been, well, at an extremely accelerated pace. Evil see, has, has got the upper hand, and the land is full of adulterers, full of people who despise the morals of God. You know, the, the land is full of homosexuals and, and all these. And the church is full of them now, too. And so you think of it this way. The, 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 the earth, the planet, the world is full of evil. And here you got guys like Nate Johnston telling you that God's going to send you the, the suddenlies rather than calling you to repent, to turn from your evil. Believe in Jesus Christ, be forgiven because he's bled and died for you on the cross and turn you from your evil. Instead, he, he, you know, he just gives these blanket prophecies. God's going to send you the suddenlies and you're, you're, you're invited into these great things that God's going to do. And along the way, he twists God's word, proving God didn't send him. The words he's speaking are not from God. Jesus is wanting us to hunger after the suddenly and the now anointing and withdraw from that place that is our birthright. Jesus is wanting us to thirst for the now anointing. (laughs) Really? Now inheritance to have, and that is that we don't have to wait 38 years to get a healing. We don't have to sit by the pool for a long time to get the things that God say and now. And I believe that he's asking you today. He's inviting you today to say, God, I partner my faith with you. I partner my faith with you that you are going to restore me today. I release my trauma, my pain. I release the years of heartache, God. And I believe he was. This is utter nonsense. Come and restore you, even right now, to say, yes, Jesus, have your way in me. Even now, Jesus, do have what you your want. way. I submit to your suddenlies, Jesus. Uh-huh, rather than repent of my sins. Yeah, I, I think you get the point. And that's the idea. This, this, you know, 
Jeremiah gives us a wonderful, wonderful uh, standard by which to judge whether or not somebody's a true prophet or a false prophet. True prophets turn people from their sin. Uh-huh. And all these people, you know, they teach you to trust in nonsense. Moving along. I didn't know you was going to start out with it. Looking for a city built above. Looking for a city where we'll never die. Where the saint in millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior. And our love was true. Come, our Holy Spirit. singer ever. Anyway, uh, we're going to be listening to uh, <clears throat> Cindy Trim talking about the des- the DNA of destiny. And oddly enough, she's going to be twisting the exact same text we heard Nate Johnston twisting. And you're going to know that th- what we're going to hear uh, Cindy Trim doing in the in the next few minutes is a just a, a standard example of what Paul warned us about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Instead, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So as we listen to Cindy Trim uh, deliver this message, uh, we're going to note she is doing exactly what Paul warned us about what would be happening in the last days. She's going to be scratching itching ears. She's going. She's not going to teach people God's word correctly at all. Uh, she what she's going to teach them is absolute mythology, all under the pretext of giving a biblical message. But even what she's doing, God's word forbids her from doing, which should kind of clue you in that there's. No way to save what it is that she's about to say and somehow turn it and make it biblical. Here is Cindy Trim and the DNA of Destiny. Well, let's go directly to the Word of God. Take out your notepads, your pens, your Bibles, iPads, uh, your smartphones, your dumb phones. Take out whatever you got. And let's begin to really delve into the Word of God. And I am grateful to have the opportunity to do series. Oftentimes, when I travel from place to place and from country to country, ministry to ministry, um, I only have about an hour to deal with some very, very complex concepts. And destiny, out of all the concepts, is very, very complex. 
but we're praying that after this, you will begin to understand how simple the concept really is. And every single day, you are changing the trajectory of your destiny. Your future comes to you one day at a time. And it doesn't have to be a mystery, but you can make history when you begin to make decisions based on the prompting of the Holy Spirit, who will give you wisdom in all areas of your life and help you to make the right decisions decisions so that your future looks nothing like your past and everything that now, go- everything she just said, none of it's taught in scripture. Not one word of it. She is filling people's heads with nonsense, with mythology. She's scratching those itching ears. And the reason she's been invited to preach this message is because the people don't want to hear the truth. They, they want to have their ears tickled. And so they have invited her to continue to scratch their itching ears and tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Had in mind when he said, I know the thoughts I have of you, thoughts of good, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. So let's go to the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. John 5. So you're going to know, John 5, we just read it out as we were listening to the invitation into your suddenly by uh, Nate Johnston. And we know a thing or two about this text. Now, she's going to engage in a Bible twisting technique. Uh, call, we call it the heresy two-step. So she'll she'll read part of the text, lay it down as if, and to make it appear like she's actually exegeting it. But then, as soon as she's done reading the text, whatever comes out of her mouth next, it doesn't have anything to do with what the text is really saying, teaching, or meaning. Verse one fifteen. Take copious notes, and then uh, later on, go back over your notes. And uh, prayerfully, from this revelation, you'll be able to extrapolate principles that will become a rhema word to you that you'll be able to apply it immediately in your life and see positive change. John chapter 5, verse 1 to 15, the Bible said, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halted, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. In other words, they had no vision for their lives. You see, when when people... (laughs) In other words, they had no vision for their lives. What a mess of nonsense. I mean, seriously. These are people whom the text itself are describing as having very serious uh, medical issues and diseases. So invalids, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So are we to somehow, if we just take what she's saying seriously for a second, run it to its logical conclusion. Do you know anybody who's blind? Do you know anybody who's paralyzed? Well, the reason why they're blind and paralyzed is because they just don't have vision for their life. You see, if they, if they would just get some vision for their life, then they, w- they wouldn't be experiencing that. And now you can see just how ridiculous 
ridiculous what we're hearing really is. All right, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we'll listen to more of Cindy Trim. We'll also be hearing from Greater Purpose Church, as well as Brandon Robertson. The guy is spewing every POMO's SJW buzz phrase that you can possibly imagine, just kind of making up his own religion. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally 
hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, uh, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that um, anybody saying that you're going to be experiencing suddenlies is a false prophet. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to uh, become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back as we uh, listen to uh, Cindy Trim explain to us the DNA of destiny while she is utterly mangling 
John 5 and scratching itching ears and telling people total nonsense. None of it is found in the Bible, especially in John 5. No vision for their lives. They will waste your time, especially if you um, have the discipline enough to get the vision for your life, write it down, and then begin to implement it. Be careful of a person that does not have a vision of their own because nine times. Yeah, you know, like blind people. <laughs> yeah, they have no vision of their own. Hence, they're blind. Out of 10, they will sabotage yours. Uh. Misery loves company. You know, vision is about how you see your life unfolding. If you cannot see it unfold, it won't unfold the way you want it to. If you cannot see it, you will not be able to seize it because your feet will never take you where your mind has never been. So you've got to have a vision for your life. You have to have a vision in 12 areas. But because we're not talking about vision, we're actually talking about destiny. We'll have an opportunity to share with you how to write a very dynamic vision that will help you to live the life of your dreams and more importantly, live the life of God's dream or the life that God had planned for you. They were blinded. They were halted. They were just stuck. Yes, so notice, it's all about you learning how to live the life of your dreams. Yet Jesus promised his followers persecution and suffering told them to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. So you'll note that uh, her Christianity is, is all about using God for the purpose of having your, your best life, you know, now. And that's not at all what Scripture teaches. This woman is scratching, itching ears and twisting God's word in the process. Which, by the way, uh, this is a breaking of that commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. She's blaspheming by saying the things that she's saying and attributing this to God. God doesn't teach any of this. Scripture doesn't teach any of this. And all of these doctrines that she's teaching, she's teaching in the name of God and yet ignoring what God has revealed. She's going to have a lot of explaining to do on the Day of Judgment. There are so many people that I meet Um, And then I lose track with them. And 20 years later, when I meet them again, they're talking about the same thing. They haven't done anything different. It's like their life is on stutter. You know, their next year looks like last year and the year after that looks like this year. They're just halted. They're just stuck. They're stuck emotionally. They're stuck professionally. They're stuck relationally. They're stuck. They're just stuck spiritually. They haven't moved anywhere. There's nothing dynamic, not even about their prayer life. They're praying the same prayers for 20 years. And, um, you know. Yeah, I've been praying the same prayer for a lot longer than that. Uh, You know, the prayer I pray is the one that Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Familiar with this one? Yeah, I pray it several times a day. Uh, Yeah, so I, I guess I'm stuck. I just don't have a vision for my life. Uh, you should run away. Flee from me, folks. I, I may as well hang a sign around my neck that says visionary leper. Life should be dynamic. Uh, says who? And, and just compare what she's saying to the exegetical work we've heard Alistair Begg engaging in in his series that we just played here on Slaves and Masters. You see, these two, these two concepts 
are as far apart as the east is from the west, as far apart as light is from darkness. This woman is literally preaching, you know, evil, nonsense, nothing to do with what God's will for our lives is or what the word of God says or means. You know, there's nothing boring about life. When you're stuck, it lacks luster. Nothing shines. Everything is dull. And I Oh, do you have a lackluster life? Oh man, you see God wants to just have you make your life shine. Not until the resurrection, folks. Decree and declare, starting from today, you are going to get your brilliance back. You're going to begin to... Oh, she's decreeing and declaring it. So, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. Now, folks, your brilliance is coming back. No, it's not. You're, you and I are all, we're heading to the grave. <laughs> so much of the brilliance you had when you were young, when you were a bright, shiny, squeaky, clean, uh, youthful person, that, that ain't ever coming back. Not until the resurrection. Nope. Shine. And you're going to lose the dullness and you're going to find the... Br- and what's really interesting, you know, I just hate to say it. I mean, Cindy Trim's looking a lot older than she did 10 years ago when I first discovered her. Yeah, she's, you know, she's looking more old and haggard, you know. She doesn't have the same... Shininess she had ten years ago. Brilliance and excitement. You, you, you are you are going to wonder where twenty four hours a day went, you know, and it's going to be so exciting. It's going to be like uh, throwing your own birthday party every day of your life. Amen. When you wake up in the morning, the Holy Spirit will say, "Surprise! I got this surprising adventure for you." And then, really, the, the Holy Spirit's going to pop out and say, "Surprise! I've got a surprising adventure for you." Where in Scripture does it teach that God the Holy Spirit wants to do that? You go to sleep, you'll be dreaming. He'll say, surprise, I'm showing up again. And when you wake up, surprise. And the most amazing things are going to happen to you. When you. Right, right, yeah. And see, when Jesus shows up, you know, I, I think he'll say to her, surprise, guess what? You're not going to be spending eternity, eternity with me. Let's talk about all these sins that I am holding against you, starting with the sin of blasphemy. Yeah, because that's what she's doing right now. All right, moving along. Uh, it's time for an emergent church SJW type update. Let's do this. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra. Formerly conducted by Doug Padgett, but he's just too old and long in the tooth and just not relevant anymore. So he's been replaced, been replaced by Brandon Robertson from San Diego. Listen, listen this is their rendition of Strauss's also Sprock Zarathustra. Notice they've been freed from the evil patriarchy who would force a limiting definition of notage upon their music. Now they're just flowing with the spirit. Oh, this is the abundant life like you wouldn't believe, folks. Ah!
I'll never be the same. All right, so we're going to be listening to two things. Uh, we're going to be listening to a uh, now this original video about a, a, a place called Greater Purpose Church. And this really should be called SJW Church or Postmodern SJW Church. And along the way, they're going to be talking all about the amazing life, world-changing things that they're engaging in. You'll note that none of it sounds correct, biblically accurate, or anything like that. And then we will hear them talk about how Jesus was killed by white supremacists. And so this is an example of, of a church filled with people who've bought into the false narrative of the SJWs about the evil white patriarchy. And the odd thing here is is that you know, most of the people in the video, you know, they be white. So just, it's just kind of strange. Anyway, and then just to you know, add the icing on the cake, we'll be listening to the promotional video for Mission Gathering Christian Church as we listen to um, Pastor uh, Brandon Robertson just literally spew, you know, uh, Pomo SJW buzz phrases galore and about, you know, changing the world and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's welcome and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, no repentance, no forgiveness of sins. And it doesn't even sound like he has even the slightest idea what Scripture really says, believes, or teaches, or he does, and is just flat-out rejected. That's the best way I can describe it. So we're going to begin with uh, now uh, now, he, now, this here and, um, and uh, the uh, Greater Purpose Church. Here we go. So this church serves beer during services and is opening... A brewery. Seems a little weird. Um, okay. And profits will be no donated to organizations like Planned Parenthood. What about the commandment that says, Thou shalt not murder? Just saying. What would it look like to be a church that looked like the movement that Jesus started and not like church that we know in America today. Right. What, what, what would it look like? You know, just have a church that looked like the movement that Jesus started. You know, they'd support Planned Parenthood, abortion, you know, the murdering of unborn children, and serve beer during their worship services and be a brewery. Yeah, that's, that's what it would look like. I mean, how, if that's what it would look like, how come Jesus never did any of that stuff? You know, just saying. Out of that consistent questioning came this model for a brewery church that generates funds for local charities. All right, so he's the lead pastor of Greater Purpose Church. Got it. Progressive. Now, by the way, progressive, This, if, you, if you're not sure exactly how that gets used, oftentimes it becomes synonymous with liberalism. But progressive theology has you know, an actual concept to it. And that is, is that theology moves forward. It changes. It morphs. It progresses. So rather than believing the faith once delivered to the saints, no. Uh, you see, what, what Christians believed, you know, 2,000 years ago has no bearing on what we're supposed to believe now because, you know, we're progressives. It's progressed. See, you know, to the point where we no longer abide by thou shalt not murder no we support and fund abortion and 
stuff like that. You see, because it progresses. We are open and affirming LGBTQ. Uh, we are feminist, and I believe Jesus was too. We- so you, you believe Jesus was uh, LGBTQ affirming feminist? Really? Could you show me that in the eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ? I would like to see that. I mean, and so, and and you're going to know, he's going to say that they're also environmentalists. So listen, listen. Are environmentalists, which I believe that's the original mandate of... of Caring for the earth is actually what we were supposed to do. Adam and Eve were uh, gardeners and, well, thieving gardeners, and that's kind of the problem. So I, I'm all I'm all for stewarding the earth. I'm not opposed to that. The children of God to take care of the planet that we we all know and enjoy. We are anti-war, which I believe Jesus was too. We are all for racial justice, which Jesus was a Palestinian Jewish rabbi. He was a person of color that was killed by white supremacy. So we're usually. Could you, could you actually validate that claim that Jesus was killed by white supremacy? I, you know, I just um, now. So he said that Jesus was a person of color. You know, and uh, and so you know, I, I just feel like I should do a, a little bit of biblical work here. And uh, I, clearly, I didn't set this up ahead of time to look like it should fit in this window properly. So. Let's get that sorted out. And, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, Jesus, person of color. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. I mean, he is definitely Jewish. There's no way around it. Jesus is Jewish. But I'm going to go to John chapter 18 and uh, see, if, see if we can take a look at what's going on here. Uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, uh, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, crossed the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount. Uh, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus, often met him there with his disciples. So Judas, by the way, yeah, he is a person of color too. Yeah, he's the same ethnicity as Jesus. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers, from the chief priests and the Pharisees. You're going to note the chief priests, they're Levites, which means they are also descendants of Abraham, just like Jesus is. And the Pharisees, they these guys hated the Romans. I mean, <laughs> for real, like despised and loathed these fellows. And so you'll note uh, Judas, chief priests, Pharisees, all people of color, um, they're the ones who arrested Jesus. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus, knowing uh, all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. Yeah, the, the Greek actually just says, I am. And uh, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Je- Jesus said this, he said, I am. He drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked him again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Well, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that I had spoken, that of those whom you have gave me, I have lost not one. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath. I shall not, uh, shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Notice here, Jesus didn't say, Hey, put that sword away. We're pacifists. You know, you'll note that because Peter had a sword, you know, it was there with them and Jesus didn't rebuke him for having it. You know, us just, just saying it's kind of weird. If Jesus were a pacifist, why was Peter carrying a sword without Jesus rebuking it. Anyway, so the band of soldiers are captain, the officers of the Jews. Yeah, again, note these are Jesus' fellow countrymen, fellow people of color that uh, arrested Jesus and they bound him. They first led him to Annas, uh, who was the father in law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And, you know, so we, you know, note Simon Peter follows at the, um, you know, you know, at a distance, uh, eight, uh, 18, verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. So why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me and what they've said. And so you get the idea here. So it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the high priests, all people of color who put Jesus on trial. Mm-hmm. Now, let, let's take a look at the, uh, we'll, we'll just assume for a second that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, that he represents the evil white patriarchy. And uh, and so, I mean, I mean, being a, an evil, rabid, white supremacist, white patriarchy dude, uh, I could, I'm sure he couldn't wait to get his claws into, into that person of color, Jesus, you know, so here's what it says. So Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on the head of Ray. They came to him and said, hail king of the Jews. Um, so Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you. So you may know that I find no guilt in him. Yeah. Pilate was literally trying to let Jesus go. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, purple robe. Pilate asked them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Notice, for an evil white supremacist patriarchy kind of guy, you know, here he has an opportunity to, I mean, just destroy a person of color. And um, he's trying to figure out how to get let Jesus go. And it's his own countrymen who are saying, yeah, no, you got to crucify that guy. So the Jews answered, we, we have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, Jesus, he's, Jesus is laying the blame on the Pharisees and the, and the chief priests, more so than on Pilate. So from, that, from then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. And I'm just saying, you know, you know for, you know, somebody who you know, this greater purpose church in Monterey is describing as a white supremacist. He sure doesn't sound like a member of the KKK to me. 
So, yeah, and so what's the problem here? The problem is that uh, this church, Greater Purpose Church, has bought into the false narrative of, you know, the evil patriarchy uh, and, and those evil white men who are who are, are suppressing the world. Yes, it's them. They're, they're the wicked, evil ones. And so they've imposed that ideology on the biblical text, and now they're saying just straight-up absurdities. You, you kind of get the idea. But let me back this up a little bit here, you know, so that we can... Uh, <clears throat> So we can kind of work this out. Here we go. Justice, which Jesus was a Palestinian Jewish rabbi. He was a person of color that was killed by white supremacy. So we're usually making every effort to be on the front lines for racial justice. So that's what sets us apart from many American churches. I'm going to argue that's what sets you apart from like the, 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 the true church. You don't sound like you understand the gospel at all, who Jesus was and who really put him to death. All right, so they've taken over an old local bookstore, plans on converting into a brewery and restaurant. Yeah, how cutting edge. All right, just to, uh, yeah, I think you kind of get the point here. Yeah, that's an example of ideology twisting and mangling God's word. And, you know, and so God's word is forced to conform to a false ideology. Now, the next fellow we're going to be uh, uh, watching and listening to here is, uh, what's his name? Brandon Robertson, and he is the uh, pastor of Mission Gathering Christian Church Center in San Diego. And and watch this, another example. And what he's going to basically do is just spew all these SJW buzz phrases and and which shows that he is not interested in biblical truth and what God's word says and what it means. He's interested in something totally different. This is a different religion than actual biblical Christianity. Here we go. Hey there, my name is Pastor Brandon Robertson, and I serve as the lead pastor of Mission Gathering Christian Church, a progressive, inclusive Christian church located right in the heart of North Park, San Diego. Mission Gathering is a community dedicated to following Jesus and living out his radically inclusive gospel in our city and beyond. Uh, radically inclusive gospel. Now, a little bit of a note here. The biblical gospel is for, ev- is for every human being, men and women of all nations, tribes, languages. But that gospel calls us to repent of our sins and that gospel teaches us that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he you know and that he died and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures all of this for our sins and for our salvation so the call of uh, of of the gospel is for us to repent of our wickedness and believe and trust in Christ to forgive us and what he's describing is a repentanceless gospel a repentanceless Christianity that pretty much just affirms you in your sin. You know, in our day and age, Christians have become known for who and what we're against rather than what we're for. We've often emphasized believing the right things over following the commands of Jesus in our day-to-day life. <laughs> yeah, um, rather than following the commands of Jesus, you are aware that Jesus being the Son of God, that all of the moral commandments that are found in the Old Testament are restated in the New and yeah, you know, 
And therefore, that's the reason why the apostles tell us things like homosexuality is a sin and and calls us to repent of these things. And adultery is a sin. You know, you know stealing and murdering and thieving, those are all sins too. And and so you're, you're talking about obeying the commands of Jesus. I'm curious what you think those are. At Mission Gathering, we really believe it's that simple. We are a community of healing and learning and growing, where we encourage one another to follow Jesus and to create the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Create the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. You see, this is the gospel of making a difference rather than making disciples, and it's clear whatever he's doing with God's word ain't a faithful handling of it at all. ...or straight, conservative, or liberal, doubt or believe, no matter who you are, how you vote, or who you love, if you're interested in living into the more abundant life... Who you are or who you love. Love the one you're with, man. That's not a biblical concept. So you know, this guy is basically created a church crafted in the image of American SJW postmodern liberalism and the whole subculture that is affiliated with that. And so he's imposing that culture and that ideology on Scripture. Yeah, That's clearly, plainly what's going on here. That God desires for you, then you'll fit right in here. We gather for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in the... wearing a tennis outfit? What is that? ...part of North Park. And I hope you'll come and join us. See you Sunday. Yeah, no, you, you really won't. Yeah, so the, uh, two salient examples of uh, basically telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear and imposing human philosophy and reason on scriptures. And in so doing, that uh, philosophy and ideology ends up uh, literally making God's word void and morphing it into a message that's totally different than the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And that's the problem with it. This is not faithful biblical Christianity at all. This is just the, the Christianity, well, that's the veneer, the name that's slapped on it, of the church of what, ha- of what happened and what we believe in right now, and which is going to change, by the way. Next week it'll be something different. and Maybe next hour, next two minutes it'll change and stuff like that. So rather than having an anchor in the solid word of God, these guys are being blown hither and yon by every strange wind of false doctrine and philosophy and ideology rather than faithfully believing, you know, the same message, same gospel that was taught by Jesus and the apostles. So I think you get the idea. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading to Echo Church in San Jose as we listen to Stacy Wood, who shouldn't be preaching, preach on being a tech-wise person and having a tech-wise culture in your house. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... 
listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Let's do this right. the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Echo Church in the Silicon Valley of California. Stacy Wood presiding. She shouldn't be doing what she's doing, but we'll go ahead and take a look at her teaching anyway. The name of the sermon series, The TechWise Family, and the name of the individual sermon in the series, Shape Our Space. Yeah, Shape Our Space. And this is a great example also of just making God's Word conform to things in our life rather than actually preaching the biblical texts in, in context 
with a proper distinction between law and gospel so that we can <laughs> rightly understand what we are to believe and repent of and things like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you kind of get the point. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Stacy Wood and her sermon, Tech-Wise Culture Shape Our Space. Here we go. Well, hello. Good to see you, Echo Church. Great to have you guys here with us. I want to welcome our campuses at Sunnyvale and South San Jose, and also those of you joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us today. We are continuing this message series, TechWise Family, in our third week now. And the past couple of weeks, we have been doing a deep dive, looking at the ways that technology affects our brains and our relationships and our lives, and what the Word of God has to say about that. Now, I think it's really interesting to me to see how different people respond. Does the Word of God teach me how to use technology? In some ways, I guess you could argue that it does, but not in the way I think she's saying it. On to the different message series here at Echo. And uh, pretty much universally, whenever we do a message series on relationships, people love it. It's like they are all in. We get so much positive feedback. Earlier this year, we did a message series called The Leadership Code, and uh, man, it really hit a felt need about leadership and God's view on that. It it hit a felt need. Yeah, okay, so we're preaching to felt needs rather than preaching God's Word in context, the whole counsel of the Word of God got it. And then we hit the TechWise family. And you guys want to know what your face, what your facial expression has been like the last couple of weeks? Even like this. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how? Yeah, strange. I thought the whole purpose of uh, relevant uh, sermon topics was to relate to people. And here you're saying the TechWise family is something that people haven't found relevant. And they don't understand it. Hmm. It's not even a biblical concept, by the way. How in the world are you expecting us in the Silicon Valley of all places to limit our technology? We are the technology center of the world. And how does this message even apply to us? It seems very noble to want to be intentional about our technology, but quite frankly, it seems impossible. Because you guys, you're app developers, you're engineers for high-tech companies. Many of you, your livelihood requires you to sit in front. What does it mean to be intentional about their technology usage and stuff? Could you help me with that? In front of a screen, more hours a day than interacting with people. And the same is true for our kids. Our kids, their homework, their schoolwork is requiring them to interact more with technology than it is with books and pencil and paper. And so we are being driven along in this culture of technology. And that's why our faces have all been kind of like, I have no idea how to apply this to my life. It's a lot to process. But I, for one, am just so thankful that we at Echo Church have a pastor who is willing to take on subjects that may not be popular. Yeah, wow. What a cutting edge. Brave man. To, I mean, yeah. I would consider him brave if he actually was dedicated to sound biblical exegesis and preaching the full counsel of the Word of God, regardless of how 
that would fly with people in the Silicon Valley. Now, I, I want to see that guy, but I'm sorry, but your husband is not at all like that. Beneficial, but not too popular. And so he, I want you to know, as a, as a person that has the privilege of living in the same house with the man, he is a man of prayer, and he does not take lightly. The- yeah, is, has he been praying to for to, you know that God would grant him repentance for allowing his wife to preach a sermon when God's word doesn't permit that? This decision of what topics the Lord would lead him to talk to our church about. Now, a- I'm going to back this up. I want you to note here: she is literally claiming that God led her husband to choose these topics and so these are these are these are sermons inspired by God himself so you shouldn't be questioning or challenging them because if you question or challenge the appropriateness or even the topic of the sermon you're challenging God you know he is a man of prayer and he does not take lightly this decision of what topics the lord would lead him to talk to our church about it's a heavy weight to carry the responsibility of shepherding and guiding a church. And so I am so thankful that we have a pastor that is a man of prayer and a man of courage. How about you guys? Yeah? So thankful. Now, have you guys ever read a book or come across some information that has been very disruptive to your life? And maybe you weren't looking to change your life in that area. You mean like the Bible? Area, but suddenly you've got this new information that you cannot forget and you cannot ignore, and it's just there. This happened to us a, couple, a few years back, several years ago, when I started learning a lot more about eating clean and whole foods and real foods, and oh my gosh, it was like this renovation of our lives, because at that point in time, Andy and I were killing some Diet Coke. I mean, like every single day, we we're like down in the Diet Coke, and we thought we were real, ha- real, real healthy, right, because it's like... We're doing diet. And um, and then we would be like snacking on those 100-calorie packs, thinking we're like watching our caloric intake and stuff. And I'm reading this stuff, and I'm like, babe, we have got it wrong. And so it was like the next day. I mean, we are like Diet Coke is poison. It will no longer be allowed in this house. Y'all, we went out and bought a grass-fed cow. I mean <laughs> – we're a little extreme when it comes to making adjustments in our life. But the same type of thing has happened to us this year as we've taken technology into consideration. Earlier this year, I got to hear a lecture um, by a brilliant author and speaker by the name of Nicholas Carr. And what he did, he... No, Nicholas is not one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't an apostle or an Old Testament prophet. You're just saying. He, he took a research-based look at what technology is, how it's affecting our brains, and how it's literally affecting our relational connection in society. And it was disturbing, to say the least. And then not long after, Andy handed me this book, The TechWise Family, and said, hey, I want you to read this. So I did. And now... As a result of all this information, we have completely rearranged our living room. We no longer... So there's a book called The TechWise Family, and that's the basis of the sermon? longer listen to music in the car, and we are the proud owners of a piano, which none of us know how to play. Like, it has been very disruptive to our lives. But one of the things that has been most eye-opening to me is this idea that technology is nudging us in a direction. 
you know, we, we say sometimes that technology is neutral, that it takes on the character of the person that is holding it. You can use the same iPhone to look up pornography on the internet and cyber bully people on social media, or you can use that iPhone to finish a Bible reading plan on version or send encouraging text messages. So a lot of times we say and we think that technology is neutral. It's, it's just whatever the user uses it to do. But what I'm learning through this research is that technology is actually nudging us in a certain direction. There are some things that it pushes us to do, and there are other things that it discourages us from doing. So you take a phone, for example. It is nudging us to live life with our heads down. It is nudging us to be addicted to this fast communication and fast information. It literally is training our eyes to dart very quickly from one thing to the next. And what is it discouraging us from doing? It's discouraging us from connecting relationally with the person right in front of us. It's discouraging us from this this deep, reflective thinking. And I I know you would probably agree with me that those are two really important things for our society. We want to be able to connect with people in front of us. And we want to be able to be mindful and reflective and, and good, deep thinkers. And so it's important for us as we engage technology to consider in what way is my technology nudging me? And as I read this book and came across this information, I was really challenged to consider how technology is affecting our home. And, and how can we, as a family, think about that and allow it to nudge us in the right direction, the type of family that we want to become instead of the family that is disconnected and totally engaged with the What is your standard for becoming the family you want to become? Where are you getting the ideas as to what the ideal family would look like? device instead of one another. And so my message today is called shaping space because there is a power in how we shape the spaces around us. And I want to propose to you that if we will be reflective and intentional about the kind of people that we want to be and the kind of home that we want to create, we can literally shape the space, the environment in our home to nudge us in that direction. So I need to shape the space in my home to nudge me somewhere towards the, being the having an ideal family. Where is this taught in Scripture that I can shape my space towards pushing me to become an ideal family or something like that? The reason I, I keep asking it in that way is because you're putting the power of transformation based upon the shape of my space rather than on the Holy Spirit who sanctifies me and is molding me into the image of Christ, you know, and helping me to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, self-control, things like that. Um, so now you're saying that how I shape my space is going to nudge me towards some ideal standard, and I, I just don't see that in scripture. Now there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 14 that says this. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but by her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. And I Yeah, this isn't talking about shaping your space regarding technology. Not at all. I love this verse because it says what I believe is culturally obvious. 
that women are the culture bearers of the home. Um, <laughs> what? That that's not what that proverb is meaning at all. It doesn't say that women are the culture bearers. It just talks about the fact that you know the efforts of a woman could either build up or just tear down her home, in, you know, her own home. <laughs> I know that. Biblically speaking, what I believe is that it teaches that the man is to be the spiritual leader of the home, that the man is to follow the example of Jesus, to be the servant-hearted, sacrificial spiritual leader of the home. But the woman, the home is our domain. And so the home begins to take on whatever culture the woman has in the home. So for ex- yeah, Again, that's not what that proverb says or means. For example, if you tend to be a little messy, your home tends to be a little messy. If you tend to be very structured and orderly, then your home tends to reflect that. If you're one of those girls that loves to laugh and you sing while you cook dinner, it creates a certain atmosphere in your home. You guys have heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? That phrase was originated because women are the culture makers in the home. So the wise woman built her house, but the foolish one is tearing it down. We are either building or we are tearing it down. And I know all of us would say that we want to be building our home. None of us would want to tear it down. But the hard reality is that some of you are tearing down your home and you don't even realize it. Because the choices that we make, it is easy to make choices that will take us away from the life that God wants for us. The way that we shape our environment has a lot of power, whether we are intentional about it or not. So women, I'm going to put a lot of responsibility on you today. I want you to internalize and own this message as the culture maker in your home. Okay? But men... Listen, hang in there. I'm not letting you off the hook, okay? Because if you do not take leadership in this, if you do not set the example in the way that you... Yeah, um, pastoral leadership is only male leadership. Why are you teaching men? God's word forbids you from doing this. You engage with your technology then everything your wife does to create a culture, it's not going to be effective. Because who is take, who are the children watching? Who are they taking their cues from? It's like if, you're, if the mom sets down on the dinner table this really healthy meal, but you're... What biblical text are you exegeting again, Stacy? Sitting at the other end eating a double quarter pounder with cheese. It's just not going to work. I mean, you're taking the legs right out from under what she's trying to do. And so what I'm saying is that for, for us to be able to be effective in creating a culture in our home, it's very important for both parents to be in alignment. Now, I know I'm talking a lot about husbands. Alignment. Okay. And wives and families and kids. And we have a ton of YPs in this church. We have young professionals. We've got a lot of students in this church, people who are not yet married. And I want to say that this message is critical for you as well. Because technology is show, or research is showing, and I, I wish that I had more time to go through some of this fascinating research with you guys. But what it's showing is that our engagement with technology is literally changing our brains. It is literally changing our interactions with people and society. And so this message is critical for all of us to be reflective and cognizant about. So today, as we are considering, what would it look like for us to take a different approach to technology? 
even here in the Silicon Valley, how are we going to engage technology differently? I feel like there is some encouragement that we can find in the Word of God. And so what I want us to do is do a little history lesson. We're going to travel back in time about 4,000 years ago when God was first forming his relationship with with this people group that would become the nation of Israel. So long before Jesus was ever born as a Jewish man into the nation of Israel, God selected the man who would be the patriarch, the founding father of this nation. And he chose a man named Abraham. Totally disrupted Abraham's life. Abraham was just living his life in Ur with his wife and his relatives. Now listen to this narrative. This is the false narrative. This is not the narrative that scripture gives regarding the life of Abraham. And God said to him one day, Abraham, start walking. And I'm going to show you where to go. I'm going to show you. Yeah, that's not what God said. Show you what to do. But right now what you need to know is I am going to make you into a great nation. Now, at this point in civilization, there were a lot of people groups that were forming into nations. They were creating their own culture, their own religious practices and gods. And what was happening is that as they were creating their religious practices, there were some detestable things that were going on. Child sacrifice was becoming very common as an act of worship to God. There was prostitution as an act of worship. There was um, self-mutilation. It was... It was such a detestable thing that was happening. So God, the God of the universe who created it all, steps in and he says, I am going to use Abraham and his family to show the world a better way. A way to... Yeah, no, no, that's not what he did. And by the way, God's going to talk about, you know, that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. That blessing comes through Jesus. Jesus, who is the son of Abraham genetically uh, direct ascendant of him he's the way in which the whole world is blessed through abraham it comes through the seed of abraham who is jesus to connect back to me and so what he says to abraham is that i'm going to make you into a great nation and i want to bless you but not only you i'm going to bless the whole world through you Yeah, that would be through Jesus. Bless you and your family so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. But in order for you to do that, Abraham, you've got to live differently. You can't take on the culture around you. You can't. Where does it say that Abraham can't take on the culture around him? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And yeah, so where is this narrative that you're talking about as far as far as culture that somehow relates now to being tech-wise and stuff like that. Participate in child sacrifices and live a sexually immoral life, Abraham. You've got to be different if you're going to be able to be a blessing to the rest. Yeah, God didn't say that because the blessing of Abraham is Jesus. Of the world. So I'm going to set you apart to be different. That's why God gave Moses the law. So let's fast forward on our timeline about 700 years. Yeah, no, God gave Moses the law because of how wicked and sinful the children of Israel were. Read the book of Galatians. Years. And the people group that started off just with Abraham and his wife has now grown into a nation of over 2 million people. And they have left their slavery in Egypt. And they are forming into their own nation. 
And so God comes and gives them a set of guidelines to live by, like a, a standard or a code of ethics that said, this is who we are and this is who we're not. You know, I find myself using this phrase in my parenting where I say to my kids, we don't do that in our family. Like I have a, a, a daughter, she's four years old. Her name's Karis, and she just started transition kindergarten. And don't you guys love all the things they come home with from school? And they, they come home with crafts, and they learn how to make farting noises from their body parts, and it's, it's awesome. So uh, <laughs> to, this past week, I heard Karis, I overheard her say, oh, my God. And I was like, I'd never heard her say that before. And I knew that she picked it up at school. And so I said, oh, Karis, we don't say, oh, my God. When in our family, when we talk about God, we, we say it reverently, like in worship or prayer or when we're talking nicely about him. And so that's, we don't say that in our family. And she's like, oh, okay. And she was on board. And it's a good thing she's on board because it can go either way with that child. <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad she agreed with me on that one. So that's kind of what God is doing. He's telling his people, this is what we do in our family. And he's setting them apart as different from the rest of the cultures around them. Because the way that these cultures were living it wasn't working well. It was taking them to a destination that wasn't God's best for their life. To a destination that wasn't God's best for their life? Do you mean hell? That would be the destination of those who persist in sin and unbelief. And so God said to Abraham, or to Moses, and to the, the people of Israel, if you want a different destination for your life, then you've got to take a different path. Where is that? Exactly. You said God said that. Can you give me a chapter and verse on that? Because it sure does sound like you made that up. And the same is true for us right here in 2018. That If we want a different destination for our lives than the culture around us, then we have got to take a different path. Because the way that our society is doing it is not working. If you don't want to end up unfulfilled and empty on the inside and with a string of broken relationships littering the path. (laughs) Oh, did Jesus come to save us from unfulfillment? I thought he came to save us from the wrath of God. (laughs) Silly me, I read that part in the Bible somewhere, but I don't know what this lady's talking about. We got to make some different choices. We know, (laughs) we know that the way our culture is doing it is not working. We can look around and see the brokenness. And yet somehow we just keep getting nudged along in that same direction. We just keep conforming to the patterns of this world. But if we want a different destination, we've got to choose to do things differently. Now, God gives the people of Israel this very clear vision of what he wants them to be like. He says to Moses in Exodus chapter 19, He said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That word holy is a, it has an interesting meaning. Probably like me, when you hear the word holy, you think about like moral perfection, purity, there's no sin. But the actual meaning, that is a good secondary connotation of the word. But the primary meaning of the word holy is to be set apart for a specific purpose. And so God is saying to this nation, I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart and different, not like the cultures around you. You see, God wants to use us. He wants to use his people to bless the whole world. 
But in order for us to do that, we have to live differently. We can't live like So note, that, by the way, this is a confuse, a confusion of law and gospel. The law does show us what God's standard is. At, this is most certainly true. The law doesn't give you the power to obey it. Not at all. And so all the law does is condemn us, show us what the standard is, and then point a bony finger at it and say, you're not measuring up. And Christianity is not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps to obey the standard. It's about recognizing that you have fallen short and confessing this to God, lamenting even your own sin and shortcoming, trusting then in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh huh. By mortifying your sinful flesh and daily letting the new man that you are in Christ come forward and taking off the old and putting on the new and living in that new person that you are in Christ. And so then that, that new man in Christ strives, desires to do the will of God, and we still have our sinful nature fighting against us the whole way. But that's the Christian life. What she's describing is really kind of stark, naked, self-righteous, pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-moral-bootstraps moralism. ...the rest of the world and be a blessing. Now listen, I want to be really clear here that as Christians, we are not against culture. We are for culture. We are for our city. We are for our neighbor. This church, we are not trying to create some little holy huddle where we're... We're all Christians. We all have Christian friends. We all listen to Christian music. We only let our kids read the Left Behind series. That is not what we are going for here. We want to be a people that bless, a people that love. And in order for us to be able to do that, we're going to have to live our lives right up next to other people, right up next to our neighbors, right up next to the people on our kids' sports teams. And we need to let them see how we do some things differently. And how it makes all the difference. We do our marriage differently. We walk through suffering differently. We prioritize our time and our money differently. What exactly does it mean when you say we do our marriage differently? Differently. And we utilize technology a little bit differently as well. So I want to take a moment to look at these passages in Deuteronomy. And what we need to do is fast forward about 40 more years. We're still on the life of Moses, but we're now at the end of his life. He's about to die. And all the Israelites, a new generation of Israelites has has, um, risen up, and they are about to cross the Jordan into the promised land. Moses is passing the baton to Joshua. But before he does that, he is going to give one last really profound speech as the leader of this nation. And what he's doing is he is reminding the people of God who they are and about this covenant that God has made with them, that you're a set apart people. These are the guidelines. This is who we are. This is who we're not. If you will live like this, you will live underneath the blessing and the favor of God. But one thing Moses does in this speech is he... Now, interesting note, she clearly doesn't understand the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is purely a covenant of works. And it is not the covenant that we are under as Christians. We are under the New Covenant. Totally different thing altogether. So she's confusing law and gospel terribly 
and she's not making a proper distinction biblically between the covenants. Yules, this secret lie that the people have started to believe. And they may not even realize they're believing this lie. But Moses puts his finger right on it. In chapter 29, verse 19, Moses says, You're thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. When I was reading this chapter of this speech and I came to that verse, I just stopped in my tracks and I was like, that is us. We believe that. We've seen God work in people's lives. We've seen God move in our church. But, but we start believing this lie that we'll be safe. Even though we go in our own way, we, we, we don't really need to be different or change. My family will be fine. I'll be fine. My kids are fine. My marriage is fine. But let me tell you something. You may feel fine right now, but if you persist, you will not be fine. Our culture as a whole is not fine. Per- persist in what exactly? Everywhere you go, people around you are dealing with deep brokenness in their lives. Because the way we are working is, the way we are living is just not working. You know, I know that the ways of God may seem... The reason why is there, there is deep brokenness in the world is because we're all born dead in trespasses and sins, ensla- enslaved under the dominion of darkness to the devil. Yeah, we're, we're sinners. Are you familiar with this concept? difficult in the moment. They may seem unpopular. They may go against the culture upstream. But that is the path to lasting joy and to deep fulfillment in our lives. See, God wants to bless your life. He wants Yeah, to- he wants to, but you got to obey. So now she's invoking the Mosaic Covenant, which is a covenant of works. God wants to bless you, but you got to obey. You're confusing these people. And turning God into, at this point, you're turning Christianity into a works-based religion. Pour out his favor on you. But in order for him to be able to do that, we have to live according to the principles that he's given us. Moses describes the blessing of God that he wants to pour out on his people. And as I read these next verses, I just want you to imagine what it would be like to live with this kind of favor on your life. Listen to this. It says, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, his set-apart people. If you obey the commands of the Mosaic Covenant. Again, it's covenant of works. As he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouse of his bounty is like he is going to pour out all the riches of heavens on your life to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you will note God's talking to the nation of Israel And they were the ones in covenant with him in the Mosaic Covenant. Make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. 
Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today. To the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Wouldn't it be amazing to live with that kind of favor on your life? Like, I want to be blessed like that. I want to be the head and not the tail. I want to be at the top, not the bottom. I want God to bless the works in my hands. I mean, I don't have like livestock and crops, but I got kids and groceries and I'd like God to bless those too. It would be great to live with this kind of favor from God on our lives. And Moses says it's possible if we will walk in the precepts of the Lord. Now listen, that does not mean that Christians never walk through suffering. We do. We go through every type of hardship that any other person on this earth does. But we do it with the favor of God on our lives. We do it with his hand of blessing, bringing comfort and strength and endurance. Now Moses also says that the contrary is true, that if we choose to step outside of the blessing of God, if we choose to intermingle with the culture around us, that there is hardship in store for us. So listen to these verses I'm about to read to you. When I, when I read them, I thought, this is a snapshot of our culture. This is what has happened to us. It says, there the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with both Uh, filled with dread both day and night, never sure of your life. In the morning, you will say, if only it were evening. And in the evening, if only it were morning because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. I wonder if we were honest in this room, how many of you would say that you live with an anxious mind and a despairing heart, that you live In this constant suspense, like when you wake up in the morning, you just dread the day to come. And by the time evening has arrived, you just want it all to be over. This is our culture. This is why there are more antidepressants prescribed each year than any other type of medication. Because the way we are living is not working. Now, this message series is very narrowly focused on the way that technology is affecting our culture and our lives. And these passages of scripture could be applied to our life in so many different ways. But I want to spend the next few minutes being really practical with you guys about how this can be applied to our life, specifically surrounding the issue of technology. So can we get really practical here for a few minutes? All right. Now, I know that it may surprise you. But shockingly, the Bible never says, thou shalt allow your child one hour of screen time per day. And it never says, thou shalt wait until your daughter is 13 to get her a phone. It doesn't say those things. It would be amazing and super helpful if it did. But what the Bible does do is it gives us some principles to live by. And it gives us... Not commandments. Now now we're going to live by principles. Uh Uh-huh. That's a picture of what family life can be like. And then God grants his people wisdom and discernment to make some hard choices. So what I'm going to propose to you is not coming straight from the Bible. These are some ideas or, or suggestions for you to consider that we believe will help nudge you in the direction of God's best for your life. Right. So note that these are suggestions based on principles, not from the Bible, that will end up nudging you towards 
better things, apparently. So the, the big question that we're trying to answer today is, is how can we shape our environment to nudge us in a direction that we would be connected to each other and connected to God? So we're going to share four principles with you. And the good news is, I know we've got people of all walks of life spiritually. I thought the good news was that Christ died for our sins. But you may not even be a Christian. But these principles would be helpful to your life, no matter where you are on your journey of faith. So principle number one is, what if we make the center of our homes less technology dependent? And what-, what if we? How is what if a principle? What if we made the center of our home less technology, whatever, right? And what I mean by that is the center of your home is like the place that you're most likely to gather. So for us, it's our downstairs. We have like this one big open room that's a living room and a kitchen together, and we're almost always there. And so think about that area in your home and picture all the technology and stuff there. And we're going to play a little game together, a little technology audit. So you're going to need a pen. If you don't have a pen out already, you should get a pen. If you don't have a pen out already, I don't even know what you're doing because I am dropping gold up here and somebody needs to pick it up no you're not none of this has anything to do with what god's word says and it's not even remotely properly connected to what you read in deuteronomy so get your pins out people all right so we're gonna play a little game you're gonna get minus one point for some things plus one for another if you have in your central living environment these things you get a minus one minus one for a tv and if you have more than one TV, you got to take off more than one point. Minus one for Blu-ray and DVD players. Minus one for all handheld devices. So any phone, any tablet, any personal gaming station, all those things, minus one for each of them. Minus one for any smart speakers you have, like um, Alexa or the Google HomePods. I don't even know why people have those things. They scare me. I mean, I do I do not need someone else listening to everything I say. And- so if you have any of those in that central part of your house, you notice all the negatives going on here. She, who, who came up with the scoring system for this? In my home. No, thank you. Okay, so minus one for any gaming console you have. I know some of you guys have like 12, so you are really in the pit now. Minus one for any computer you have, desktop, laptop. If it is in that central living area, minus one for that. <laughs> minus run for all your remote controls. You guys, I, can, I don't even know how to count all our remote controls. We have a whole drawer full. I know how to use about two of them. My 11-year-old has to help me. Uh, and then minus one for any ba- battery-operated toys. Those things are horrible anyway. They just need to go upstairs. They do not need to be there. So if you have battery-operated oper- toys, get them out of there. Okay. Here, here's how you earn some points, okay? You ready? All right. It, plus one, if you have art on the wall, if you have – think about your room. If you have art up, you get plus one. And you get a bonus point if it's original art. And you get another bonus point if you know the artist or if the artist is your child. So you get some bonus points there. Okay, you get a plus one for all the musical instruments that are in that environment. Okay? So Andy and I very proudly get to add a point there because we have a piano that we're going to learn how to play. (laughs) Andy's going to be up here in the worst. So you get a point for a piano that you currently aren't using. Got it. That's like saying, you know, I, I should get a point because I have 
you know, a stairmaster in my basement that I, I never use it. I intend to, so I get a point for that. See before you know it. Um, <laughs> okay, plus one for any board games or card games that you have for all ages. Did you know that all ages can enjoy board games and card games? That's a thing, people. We could put down our remote and pick up a card game. Okay, plus one for all your books. If you have books for all ages and variety of reading levels, you get plus one for those. Each book gets a plus one or only if you have books plural per book i don't know if you can do it for i mean if you get three books in your whole living room do you really get three points i don't know about that if you're really in the pit and you need some help okay go ahead <laughs> if uh if you have a craft table for little kids or adults in that area you get a plus one and and the last one i put down is any type of puzzle or building material like uh, Lincoln Logs or Magnetiles. Those are fun for adults, too. I sit with my daughter, and I'm like, don't take my Magnetiles. I'm building something. So, okay, so you can kind of see by looking at this that what we're going for here in this environment is we want it to be a place that is nudging us towards connection, nudging us towards creating something, towards building something, towards learning a skill that's valuable, and so this is why I told you at the beginning of my sermon that my whole living room has been rearranged. Because when I did a technology audit, I was like, we got to make some changes in here. And so I know that the same is probably true for you as well. So that's the first suggestion. Second one is this. What if we create more than we consume? And what I mean by that is what if we could create music instead of just consuming what someone else has created? What if we could create some? What if what what are the principles in play again? I you know, you lost me. Real food with real ingredients instead of just consuming some food products that someone else made. What if we could create conversation and entertainment instead of just vegging out on a couch and being entertained by something on a screen? So that's what I mean by it. What if we could create more than we could consume? All right. The third one is this. What if we intentionally make space for conversation? And you guys, I got to be honest with you. Our family, we are on the struggle bus when it comes to conversation. I mean, it is a challenge for us. Any problems you got with conversation, we are encountering them too. We got two boys. Neither of them want to talk. I mean, you ask them a question, they're going to give you a one word answer. Or they may give you a grunt or like a hand signal. I didn't even know you could answer questions with hand signals, but evidently you can. And we have a daughter, and she is at the opposite end of the spectrum. And she is like a one-woman talking machine. She will like be in the backseat of our minivan, and she is just going on and on and on about something. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh. No idea what she's talking about. <laughs> like, girl, take a breath. But that's not the kind of family that we want to have. We want a family that can enjoy conversation with one another. And so we have decided we're not going to excuse this type of behavior as personality-driven or age-appropriate. We are going to train our children how to have conversations. So hopefully the goal is one day we... So I guess at this point in the sermon, which you shouldn't be preaching, we're, I guess we're done with the Bible. I, we, you know... It was just used as a pretense to make it look like what she's talking about here in this technology audit 
is actually somehow guided by, you know, the Mosaic Covenant, I guess. I, I don't know. We might enjoy conversation together. So we've done a couple of things. One is at dinner time. We will sit down as a family and we say a prayer. And then we literally set a timer for 20 minutes. And it might be the longest 20 minutes of our day, but we are going to sit there and we are going to eat and we are going to look at each other in the eyeballs and try to talk. And I tell you what, as soon as that timer beeps, they are out of there. They hate it. But we are hoping that it will nudge them in the direction of conversation. The other thing that we do is drive time. So when we're in the car, We've decided not to use technology. So we, we have a phrase now that this book gave us. It's genius. Drive time is talk time. Because when we used to get in the car, people, they were always like, can I play a song? Can I play a song? Can I watch this video? Can I play this DVD? And it's like, no, no, talk to me. Tell me about your day. So now I just say, drive time is talk time. So we're either going to sit here and talk or we're going to sit in silence, but we're not going to engage in technology. And now if the drive is less than an hour, that's kind of our standard. If it's more than an hour, we'll let them have their DVD time or whatever. But we're going to set apart some of our drive time for communicating with one another. Okay, the fourth and final suggestion that I have for you is what if we could store all of our devices in an out-of-the-way place? And this one's a super easy one. So uh, Andy and I used to keep our laptops just kind of sitting around on the tables and stuff. But now we've decided to try to store them in our backpacks. So they're out of the way and out of sight, out of mind. And then another one is we used to kind of keep all of our devices, our phones and tablets and everything, uh, in this one little area on the kitchen counter that was like a charging station. But what was happening is that every time somebody walked by it, they're fidgeting with it. So you're like suddenly very interested in Googling all this random stuff on the internet or like you really want to know what president trump just put out on his twitter or you got to order all this stuff on amazon and so we're like okay let's just move it to a basket out of the way so i got this little basket and put it at the bottom of a baker's rack right there in our kitchen and when we come in the door we just put our devices there so it's actually still in the same room that it used to be it's just a little bit less convenient and so I actually have to think about it. I have to say, okay, I need my phone. I'm going to walk over. I'm going to get it. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to put it back. So what it is, it's just nudging us in that direction of connecting with one another. You guys see what we're doing? Cue uh, sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God and the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, apparently you know, nudging them to make decisions of one kind or another. Apparently now uh, we're supposed to embrace the what-ifs of the uh, tech-wise space and stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with these ideas. It's just this is not the content of a Christian sermon. There's nothing Christian about this sermon at all. What we're doing here, we're trying to create an environment. We're shaping our space to encourage us to connect with one another and with the Lord. So, a thought to consider is that even though we are not aware of it all the time, we're not aware of the effect that technology is having. It is having an effect. It's kind of like a sleeping baby. Like if, if you were ever in a conversation with a mom who has a sleeping baby in the other room, she's there with you and she's, she's engaged in the conversation, but one part of her is always listening for that sleeping baby. 
And our phones have become our sleeping babies. That we are always listening. As soon as that phone beeps or cries or notifies us or rolls over, we are going to be there to take care of it. It is our sleeping baby. And so even though we may not even be using it at the moment, it is using part of our brain. If I have my phone in my hand or in my pocket or on the table, it represents all the other people I could be communicating with instead of you. It's having an effect. You know, I know that these choices that I'm suggesting are not easy. They're tough. I get that. And I know that for some of us, we're going to have to make some significant changes to our homes in order to, to accomplish this. And there's a lot of resistance to that culturally and with our kids. You know, our ki- wherever we draw the line with our kids, they're going to push on that boundary. And that's, that's tough. It's, it's exhausting, actually. Like, they come to us and, I don't know. I don't know if you can download that app or play that game or listen to that song. I'm just exhausted. And every decision we have to filter through that grid of, of wisdom and discernment, and it's exhausting. But as parents, it is our job to lovingly and firmly hold the line. Because that boundary line that our kids hate is also the thing that makes them feel safe and secure and loved. There's a strong temptation for me to want to be the fun house. Like, I want kids to want to come to my house. I want my kids to have their friends over. But it's really hard to compete with that other house where they, like, offer unlimited pizza and video games and whatever music you want. And I'm like, that's not our culture. That's not what we do here. It's kind of ironic because my son is actually having a birthday party this weekend, and that's what he wanted was pizza and video games. So I told him, nope, you're getting apple slices and board games. That's the kind of family we are. I'm just kidding. He's, <laughs> it's his birthday. So, but that's not our regular rhythm, right? We're trying to create this culture in our home. And every time that temptation comes up in my mind to just give in, to just be the fun house that anything goes, I think to myself, what if we could give our kids and their friends something more? What if when people came into our home, they felt joy and peace like they didn't feel it, feel it in other places. What if there was a mom and a dad that really love one another and they create stability in the home? What if there's a lot of laughter in our home? What if there? Do you honestly think that Christian sanctification can be accomplished by merely changing the space? Do you think board games facilitate Christian sanctification? bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, mortifying of the sinful flesh. I mean, this is this really sounds like stuff we could get from, like, better homes and garden when we gather together as Christ's redeemed sheep, blood-bought by his blood. Don't you think we ought to meaningfully, in-depth, work our way through the very word that he has pointed us to, that he has had his apostles write for us, that the prophets wrote in preparation for Christ, that point to him and what he's done for us? Why are we not getting any of that? There are parents that are deeply engaged and interested in what their kids are doing. What if people in our house know how to have eyeball-to-eyeball conversations because our eyeballs are not always fixed on a screen? 
And what if when people come in, we could sit around the table and have some... And what if, would we be more like Christ? Real food and some real conversation with the people we love. You know, God is calling us. He is inviting us. He is wooing us. He's calling us to repent and be forgiven. Do this blessed life. But we got to make some choices. We got to decide, are we going to say for ourselves, oh, I'm going to be fine. I'll be safe, even though I persist in going my own way, blending in with the culture. I'll be safe. I'll be fine. Or are we going to choose to do some things differently? Are we going to choose to be set apart as unto the Lord? I want to. We're going to be, we have to choose to be set apart unto the Lord. How does that work exactly? invite you guys to stand with me and I'm going to speak a blessing over you today. You are? You know, some of us have a lot of work to do <laughs> when we get back home. Yeah, and it's, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. It's going to take some time. It may take weeks. It may take months to sort all this stuff out. That's why I said our house is like... Will they be more like Jesus once they do this? Like, been completely different over the last few weeks. But I just want to challenge you not to stop short. Don't give up. Let's create a space that nudges us in the right direction. Let's not just go with the flow because it's easier. You know, when when Jesus came into the nation of Israel, he was the fulfillment of God wanting to bless the whole world through that nation. And so now we, as people who carry the name of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then God's plan is that you would be the ones that would carry the blessing to the rest of the world. I want you to listen to what God says about you in 1 Peter. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are set apart. Yeah, you kind of skip all the parts about in Scripture about sin, repentance, forgiveness of sins. Yeah. You are a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God is calling us out of darkness. There is so much darkness in our culture. But so, so darkness is when you don't have a communication-friendly, board game-filled uh, center space inside of your home. Okay. But through Jesus, he has provided a rescue for us out of that darkness and into his wonderful light. So may you find more entertainment in throwing a football with your son than watching football on TV. May you be more interested in your daughter's long-winded account of her day than what your friends are doing on Instagram. May you find more laughter around your dinner table than you do by watching funny YouTube videos. And may you create a home where people are deeply connected to one another and to God because of some difficult choices you made to nudge yourself in that direction. God bless you guys. So so that was a blessing. I sounded like a to-do list. I've never considered it's do list a blessing. Yeah, I think he kind of get the point here. Uh, you'll note that Jesus was missing for real, like not he wasn't there. 
And uh, she should have been preaching that and makes you see why maybe God put that prohibition in place. Yeah, again, better homes and garden, you know, how to use, how to set up your space to nudge you towards better communication and, you know, face-to-face interaction. Not that that's a bad thing, it's just that it has nothing to do with Scripture. The job of a pastor is to preach the Word. And so you'll note that uh, the people at Echo Church have exchanged the truth of God for stuff that scratches their itching ears rather than hearing what they need to hear. They're hearing what they want to hear. Really, really awful and sad. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.